marketing a product is in the words of Simon Sinek to start with why. And that's always been very inspiring to me that I've always, you know, looked at briefs I put together, briefs my team put together as like explaining the why and trusting the experts to solve through how and what's become the solution. How, how are you? Um, I'm good. I'm good. I mean, as good as I can be, I should say. How are you guys? Yeah, we're the same. You know, we're, we're trucking along and, you know, it was, uh, we, you know, we always talk to a bunch of people and just, you know, what a 2020 it's been, but we're, we're so happy it's over. And, you know, 2021, as we're in it, like, we expect it to be um, progression, I should say. So, yeah. I absolutely can't agree more. I, mean, I can believe it's already February. You know, 2021, I mean, I we all were waiting. I mean, January was kind of uh, interesting to say the least, but it was only the yes. months of the the 12, you know, we had ahead of us. So, hey, we'll take it one by one, I guess. Yes, totally agree with you. Oh, man. But hey, so thank you so much for giving us an opportunity um, to be able to kind of interview you and kind of learn more about you. Um, I know... I, maybe we've crossed paths. I don't recall, but I, I know we probably had the same group of people that we knew. Absolutely, um, yes. Yeah, and, and I know Jesse definitely said he's seen you around as well. Um, so, but we're excited to have you on because you are our first, I would say, um, product guru experienced within, obviously, Nike. Um, but we're excited to have you. Well, I'm 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 very excited as well. Uh, thank you for the opportunity, and actually, uh, probably kind of broke the the mold if there's such thing here because I'm the one who reached out to you, John. So <laughs> you know, within minutes, I was invited. I was like, oh wow. <laughs> well, but, hey, look, you, you know, just as much as we do, it's it's uh, the Nike alumni or the Nike family. I should say, once you were part of Nike, you're in the family. So it's like it, it made. Absolute sense. Like, you know, when you hit me up, I was like, that's a no brainer. I mean, we, of course, well, we'd love to have you on. So, very appreciative. Yeah. And just to give you a little bit of background, I mean, you know, we talked about 2020 and 2021. Uh, I left Nike at the end of 2019. Uh, just to get this out of the way, it wasn't my decision. Let's put it this way. And then 2020 gotcha. was kind of that transition year with everything was, that was going on. You know, my priority was obviously my family. Uh, at the same time, I hit pose. You know, and I look back at everything, you know, not only what I was able to accomplish, but what I liked, you know, I looked at my values, put a few things on paper and, and I took my time. And then, you know, New Year's Eve, I had a bit of champagne on the first of the year and then dry January. Uh, my first glass of wine was on Saturday, but I, I put all my thoughts into work, you know, in January. So part of it is like, you know, beginning to write my story, my journal and sharing uh, personal projects and things like that. And reaching out to you, obviously, you know, was not necessarily planned, but it's the type of opportunities, you know, I, I looked at and I was like, hey, you know, might as well try. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm a, a big believer of like, you know, whatever process that we're in or what we're currently in, there's there's a reason and purpose or whatever situations that happen to us. So it just made sense. I mean, I think, you know, the right time, the right opportunity, I mean, coming in, I think, again, we're more than willing to um, 
hear we love hearing store people's stories, especially within the obviously our, our podcast of, of ex Nike um, or the alumni in general and hearing their story. Um, so we're again we're stoked, we're grateful. I think there's a lot of great stories behind your your career, and so we'll kind of kick it off, right? And we'd love to. We usually ask our guests, you know, like what was your collegiate background like? Um, like, you know, from your background, it was engineering and what kind of made you go towards, you know, apparel and footwear, I should say, versus your, I would say, you know, my sister, my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law, they're both engineers as well. And they're definitely going towards the traditional mold of, you know, uh, tech. Um, would love to hear that, like how your perspective and, and how you got into Nike. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so born and raised in Paris, France, or just outside of Paris, France, it's much easier to say Paris than Montfermeil. Uh, so everybody can put Paris on the map, I guess. Uh, and, and at a very young age, I was uh, I was one super active, not hyperactive, but super active in a way that, you know, I would be riding my bike, I would go on runs, I would, you know, not necessarily play organized sports, but I, I enjoyed not only, you know, playing sports, but just, just getting out. And, and the other side of me was also very, very curious. Uh, uh, I, I would break things down and try to put them back together. And while I was doing that, I would try to understand, you know, the, the, the way things worked and the way they were put together. And if I could make any improvements, I would. I was kind of that, you know, six-year-old tinkerer, if you will. And of course, you know, you grow up, I always had like a, a notepad with me. So I would sketch things, I would take notes or whatever, not in a nerdy way, just in a way that I would remember. And I would kind of develop that, you, know, you can call it a talent, if you will, but it was more of a passion for me. Fast forward, uh, my sport was track. I did cycling for a few years and I didn't like it much and cycling hated me even more. Uh, it's it's brutal but uh mid 80s i started running track and and that was really my sport and of course when you run track you know you start looking at your equipment your spikes and everything you wear and there was a component of style if you remember carl lewis you know 1984 was a turning moment and that's when i started like really paying attention you know to my equipment in a way that I looked at style and I looked at performance and what the equipment could do to me, you know, when you start merging both. And I wore a lot of Adidas product because back in the days in Paris, that's more or less what was available. Started wearing Mizuno for a little while. And then uh, uh, had my first experience with Nike uh, with the Air Max, Air Max One. And the experience was such that I was like, holy cow, what is that? And it's not that I would go and run in the shoes. It's just like the feeling of like sleeping my toes in there. I was like, oh, crap, that's very different. So I started like digging in and looking at it. And again, like I said, like my kind of like curious background or curious personality started like literally researching the product. And I'm like, OK, check. And that was like the early 90s. Uh, and I'm like, OK, this is what I want to do. I was going to school. Uh, my degree is in construction, engineering, and economy. So it's about building or like bridges and all of that. But I call myself a builder. And it doesn't matter if you build a building, a bridge, or a pair of boots, or a jersey, you know, you still have to put the pieces together. And the one thing I was very, very interested in while studying was the uh, the math 
of building the the economic factor of like okay i want to build this i want to create that solution how much is it going to cost and then when you get into doing business of course you start looking into margins so i set my you know uh, target or uh, started looking at nike because i was only interested into nike and Back in 95, I went to a trade show outside of Paris, talked to a couple of people and they got tired of me. They're like, okay, you want a job? We'll get you a job. And it took about a year, a little less than a year. In 96, I started in the, uh, in the Paris office uh, and immediately I, I, I went into product. And, and the first thing I did was actually spend four weeks on the Tour de France, which was pretty amazing. Got back into the office and I was offered like a product job spent some time in France, like three and a half years, moved to uh, Amsterdam at EHQ, and then uh, moved across the pond in uh, 2004, landed in Biriton. So that's interesting because, you know, years prior I had told myself I wanted one day to work and live in uh, Biriton, Oregon, and here I am. <laughs> of all places, right? Small little Portland, <laughs> Biriton, Oregon. <laughs> I know it's it's funny like the dreams of somebody from Paris to be like eventually I want to live in Beaverton. It's kind of it's yeah, kind of funny. In um, and and I, know, I never joking. lived in Beaverton. I live very close to Beaverton, but I never really lived in Beaverton. But that that's just to give you the idea. So no offense yeah. to anyone living in Beaverton, by the way. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Um so I'm just like really curious because like I think that for some people specifically like people who have the shared Nike experience they have a sense of people who are you know category line managers or product line managers and you know kind of the general sort of responsibilities that those folks have when you were studying and you were looking at Nike as an option did you feel pretty I mean, it's sounding like through those conversations that you're having with people at the trade shows, you had a pretty good sense of what the, the role was all about. Is that yeah, accurate? I mean, product was always my thing. If you think about it, being a builder, you know, there's a number of things. You can be in product development, but you're more like in the kitchen cooking. See what I'm saying? You're not putting the money together or whatever, unless you're a master cook and, and you put that together. The way I looked at it is like more like the vision, the understanding of how to put it together. And like I said, I was sketching a lot. My dream job was to be a designer. Uh, I was never a designer. I didn't know the job of PLM, to be honest. I didn't know that job existed, right? And uh, it was kind of an accident where, you know, I'm like, I'm going to take any job. I'm going to try to understand what jobs are available. And the minute, you know, five minutes into the company, I heard about PLM. So I'm like, okay, I want to do that. Because to me, that's like you at the intersection of design, product management, engineering, uh, sales, merchandising, you name it. You're like right in the middle. You're at the beginning of the process. You're at the end of the process. You work with the consumer. Uh, dream job, period. And 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 about like the process of getting there, uh, you, you talked about being at the right place at the right time. Uh, yes, you can be there. Uh, sometimes it's an accident and, and, and luck comes into play. It's also about making sure you're going to be there. And just to give you an example of the Nike thing, you know, back in 95, I mean, I saw an ad for Ekins and I looked at the job description. I'm like, that's cool. And I put a letter together and I put it in the mail and or in the mail in the office. I'm like, yeah, maybe not. I took it back. I got in my car and I, I literally, you know, hand delivered it to those guys. I'm like, I don't want to trust like the mailman with my letter. This is about my life. This is about my next 25, 30 years. 
So I went in, I introduced myself, and actually that's something that they're like, oh, wow, you really want this, right? So, you know, I didn't leave anything to chance. Let's put it this way. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and a year of persistence got you an opportunity, especially, you know, in France. And, like, can you tell us a little bit of, like, your experiences? Like, you knew what you wanted to do. You got into Nike. Your first opportunity, you said, was Tour de France. Yeah. Um, what was that like, number one, as, as, as a young person, you were just like, you know, it's cycling. And you just said before, like, cycling yeah, yeah, did not like yeah. you. And, and what was that like? And how was that like? What was the first, like, opportunity where you knew, like, oh, I get to kind of break certain things down and, and be able to work on this project? Well, it, it, so first and foremost, like one word, it was awesome. Like, literally awesome. I mean, growing up, especially when you're in France, I mean, the Tour de France, so as you guys know, and you you know it, you know, based on your background, I mean, you get like two global massive events every four years. It's the World Cup and the Olympics, okay? But to go there, one, you have to travel and blah, 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 but you have to pay to get inside the stadium. The Tour de France is the third largest global event, you know, in terms of like viewership and, and, and spectators. It's free. Okay, so growing up, I didn't have to go beg my parents for money to go watch the Tour de France. Okay, so I was able to experience that from the outside. Like I said, I liked cycling and probably because I loved, you know, the Tour de France and everything. Uh, so I was able to experience the tour from the outside. I had a good knowledge of the tour. And then uh, the reason I started there, again, my name was like on sort of a list. They needed someone to get out there like within 24 hours to run an audit. Nike signed the tour like three months prior uh, to the, 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 the start, like back in 96. And uh, we were going to sell product and, you know, have some merchandising activities and advertising stuff, but they had no idea how to do it. So uh, there was another guy and Ekin Cedric is still one of my best friends. He was my roommate and, and, uh, uh, my binom and the two of us would spend like the day in a van inside the race. So I experienced it from the outside, but then also now I was like in the middle of it, you know, and next thing you know, you would like all those fantastic athletes and the camaraderie and the, the thing is just amazing. You share hotels and things like that, but just to take it back to the product, you know, I actually, the, so I got there in the middle of the night. It was in the French Alps. Okay. It was like, kind of dry, not warm, but it's July. And the next morning we get up and it's snowing and you see people with snowboards. And if you remember back in the 90s, ACG was kind of big. So you start mm -hmm. connecting the dots as far as like, okay, I'm going to need to grab a jacket. But you think about those guys, those riders, okay, they came up like wearing spandex and, you know, short sleeve. And they have to start wearing like a, a rain jacket and, you know, warm gloves and whatever. And then two hours later, it's going to be like, I don't know, like 80 degrees. So when you think about the change in temperature, you know, that kind of clicked for me with my product. I am like, okay, there's a solution platform. Uh, so the reason, you know, people started listening to me when I got back into the office, started people uh, talking to people in the HQ. It's like, hey, guys, we have an opportunity. When you talk about all conditions gear, I don't know there is a much better platform than the tour to do that. And that's how I was like, okay. Uh, you know, give me an opportunity, I'll do it. They're like, yeah, how about you put a brief together for next year's? And that's how it all started. Wow. Wow, that's cool. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
and that's something that you just went after. Um, you saw that that there was a gap there, and like you know, I think that that's one aspect that I probably don't know enough about is just like what compo- what um, percentage of the role when you're in a category line manager or product line manager is about understanding the consumer. I mean, obviously, understanding the athlete is kind of vital you know, through any role that you have at Nike, but it seems like when you're on the ground floor on that type of role, that's like critical. Am I, is that accurate? Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, I've worked with good PLMs. I've worked with great PLMs as my peers, or I've managed people and I had managers that had been PLMs and you get every single color of the spectrum there. Uh, and to me, the ability to do your job, you know, the best you can. Okay, you're going to be briefing like four seasons a year. So there's four critical times, you know, where you need to gather insights and, you know, put a brief together, deliver that brief and go to work, you know, and start cooking the product. But to me, what differentiates, you know, the good from the great is the ability to be on 24-7, 365. It's not like, okay, I got to put a brief together in two weeks. Shit, I got to go talk to some people. Uh, I got to put my brief for it. No, it's the ability to gather insights like all year long, 24-7, like I said. And and because the brief has a deadline. Designers have deadlines. Developers have deadlines. Everything, okay? At some point, you're going to have to stop. And you want to be respectful of that process. And designers love to extend those deadlines. But you're like, hey, if we can't do it with this one, there's going to be another one. That's why we are total 91, two, three. You know, you can iterate or you can innovate. Or you can invent, you know. So I feel like we in product management have or had to be on like all the time. Okay. And I spent a fair amount of time working in soccer. Soccer never stops. Okay. So there's plenty of opportunities, you know, to to find problems and to work on solutions. So to me, it was not necessarily about this time or that time. To me, it's like it never stopped really, never really stopped. Oh, I love that. And, and like with the consumer insights of 365, um, was that, the, would you say that was the same as well when you had the opportunity to speak with athletes, key athletes to be able to gather their insights as well and um, utilize that formula to produce, you know, cause again, product, it's like a Venn diagram, right? Where the product is in the center and then everything around it will, will happen. Um, but was that the same as when you guys had the opportunity to speak with athletes? Oh, absolutely. I, th- I think there's key times, you know, where you can connect, talk to athletes, and there's other times where you can't. And when you think about, you know, I'm going to take the example of my career. You know, when I started 23 years, you know, before I ended, technology wasn't the same. We didn't have like smartphones. We barely had like cell phones. So communication was a lot more challenging. Uh, meaning that we had a lot more opportunities to actually be on the ground with the athletes, okay? Uh, fast forward 15, 20 years later, you know, you have like FaceTime and all these things. And not only that, the network at Nike and inside the clubs uh, is much bigger. So it's not only about getting FaceTime with the, the athletes, it's about leveraging sports marketing as a function or brand, ma- brand marketing, you know, to to basically gather insights, you know, because you know a thing or two about budget, so I won't go there. But it's like it it became at some point, you know, uh, not more challenging to travel, but more challenging to travel everywhere to every athlete 
especially when you're a global brand or when you're in a global category. So that's what makes it challenging. So you have to leverage all of that. So there's this part. The other part is, is being Nike. It's about, you know, uh, exceeding expectations. So it's not everything the athlete tells you that's going to fuel your brief. At the same time, you're like, okay, you got to be able to filter that and, and also bring the Nike filter. So, you know, a lot of the innovation platforms we had, you know, you could apply to solutions or the insight is going to help you to innovate. So, Yes, it always has to start with the consumer. The one thing I always told myself and later on as a manager told my teams is if you can't name your consumer, don't even talk to me about it. If you don't know who is it for, I mean, what's the point? 100%. Got to know the consumer. Um, I'd love to go back when you said there are good, good managers and then there are great managers. And, you know, a lot of our topics we really want to hone down is like leadership. Um, can you tell us like when you were at Nike, um, who, like, were there great leaders that really motivated you and who, whom you wanted to emulate? And then obviously as you became a manager, you wanted to kind of, um, give that kind of skill set to your team as well. Um, and then was there a time where you had to deal with like tough, tough leadership as well? I mean, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Just just a little nuance. When I said like good and great, I was talking about PLMs, but yes, sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's all right. But since you're talking about managers, of course, I mean, like I said, I mean, you know, you, you get all sorts of uh, of folks and, and it's interesting because uh, again, I talked about the the tour. Uh, when I was on the tour the first year, actually, the uh, the guy that was in charge of the event is the current CMO at Nike. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> no name. But uh, that's interesting because, you know, he was a former Olympian cyclist. And uh, I looked at him, you know, and, and the role he was doing and the credibility he had, uh, you know, made it was the value. He knew exactly what he was talking about. And so to your point about what I look to into a manager is the credibility. Okay, as a leader, it's like, how credible are you? Okay, and it's not because you never played soccer or never played basketball that you're not going to be credible. It's going to be probably requiring a little bit more homework or doing a little bit more digging to, to be out there. So this, this, that's, that's number one. Two, I'm looking for energy. Energy as in like, give me some fuel. Give me like, you know... The, the, that thing that's going to make me uh, come on board, work with you, work for you, uh, go find a solution. And and three, I'm looking at uh, beyond like the work itself is like, how interested are you into my growth and uh, making me grow? Uh, if all the conversations we have, you know, in the one-on-ones are like, okay, we have that deadline coming up or where's your brief or how much business are you going to bring and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that can help, you know, make you a better PLM or better marketer, you know, but at the same time, I think there is some room that needs to be left for like growth, uh, individual growth into the role and professional growth, you know, uh, beyond the role. So, you know, I've always looked at managers that walk in the office and, just like, hey, how's it going today? You know, how was your weekend? Uh, but at the same time, when it comes to like getting the work done, it's like the credibility, you know, posing, spending the time to try to understand the ideas, people that will empower you as well to fail. I think that's very important. 
Um, Rudy, I wanted to like get a sense of what it was like when you moved to the WHQ campus. You were with Nike for let's like you know seven or eight years before you um, came to campus. Like, what was that change like, just from a cultural standpoint? And just from like, you know, just your role and how different was it once you're there, you know, at kind of headquarters where a lot of the brain trust behind a lot of these products were were based? Well, I was there. I was uh, I was in Beaverton, Oregon. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it's it's interesting because so while I was in EHQ, uh, Amsterdam, so I started like traveling several times a year to to campus. And like I mentioned, maybe I was in global football. So uh, we were like a global team with with people like scattered around, you know, mostly like in Europe, North America and South America. So several times a year, we'd have those summits. Everybody would come together. Back then, I was in a club football apparel. So dealing with like the, the Barca, Juventus, you know, PSG of, of, of the world. Uh, but my counterparts in footwear would be in the same meetings and we would have conversations about everything. Okay. So I started developing a taste for like, not only what I was doing, but beyond just the classification of apparel, I started looking at equipment and footwear as an opportunity. Meanwhile, the guys in footwear, you know, came to me and they're like, Hey, would you ever be interested someday to come here? So fast forward, you know, there was an opening. I was hired for the job and and arrived here. So because I was kind of used to travel back and forth, the transition was not that very brutal. I had enough time to prepare myself uh, because, like I said, it was a goal, a dream, you name it. Uh, The challenge was not big from a cultural standpoint because, again, you know, you're in a global category, so you all speak the same language. It wasn't until I moved into not so global categories that I started like feeling uh, uh, a bigger difference, a bigger cultural difference. Got it. Um, I think, and this is kind of a little bit of a side note, but I feel like there was a a, a trip. It was like a junket that uh, Todd Van Horn put together, and it was down to the University of Oregon, and. It was like Tinker spoke and the players were there. And basically it was just kind of like the preface to one of those, you know, player meetings where you're kind of talking through like different, you know, Jersey ideas or, you know, the footwear or whatever. Were you on a a trip like that? Because I I feel like. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. He was really I was there. About it before you were on. So, yeah. No, I, I, I was there. Oh, that was, that was. That was amazing. That was that was truly uh, amazing as a trip. I mean, it was my first time at the the new facilities, actually. And yes, I mean, you know, you get out of bed for these sort of things. I mean, it's like you get paid to do these things, you know. And and yeah. and that day was amazing because again, it's one of those things I was talking about those global summits, you know, uh, in 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 soccer, global football, where we had like people coming from all over the world. Well, we back then I was in field sports equipment so we were working working on on the ball the football and and the glove mostly and then todd actually was putting together everything from an innovation standpoint for the uh, annual innovation summit with mark parker and 
everybody else. But we went down there as a cross-functional team. So there were like 20 plus of us, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was and, crazy. And the one thing I remember, actually, and you probably remember the same thing, is like we were sitting in the amphitheater. Sorry, French accent. Uh-huh. Uh, and we had like all the players, like 80 of them behind us. They all came like one by one. They shook hands, you know, back when you could shake hands. Uh, and and everybody had a word to say, everybody. So it took a while, but one that was like amazing, the coach was like, I think it was a half reach that was still there. And he made sure yeah. that everybody was talking. But the one thing I remember is like the Q&A session where we had Tinker, TVH, the design team, some of us on my team, you know, down the stairs and the guys were in the back. And there was this guy like asking questions about like, hey, what if I want to become a designer? What if I want to be working marketing and, and blah, blah, blah. And I turned around and he was Marcus Mariota. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, why, why do you care about working in an office or something? I mean, come on. And he was extremely humble. He was more than aware of, you know, what being a professional athlete, especially playing football, could mean and could do to your body, whatever, where your career could be over in like a day or two. And we had a number of like former ducks with us on the Nike side, like the the BMAX and those guys that could have had a professional yep. career and that shows like to stop playing football and get a real job, let's say. And I was extremely impressed with that because it's not something I'd ever experienced. I mean, where I grew up, you play sports outside of school. You're in a club. Okay, There, they go to school to play sports in some ways, if you have the talent and, and the ability to do that. So, you know, that, that trip beyond just the product inside and connecting with athletes was also about connecting with, you know, men human beings that had concerns about what their life would be, you know, in five, 10 years down the road. So that's really one of the key highlights of of spending that day at the University of Oregon. That is awesome. Yeah, that was great. It was a really big memory for me too. So I'm glad that it stood out for you. Um, So that's, yeah. So, um, I mean, that might be a good segue too, because you talk about, you know, the transition from apparel to footwear, footwear. Um, then you're into hard goods, um, Nike equipment. So, I mean, you had a pretty consistent sort of change in the product focus that you had when, when you were there. Can you talk a little bit about just that specifically? And then as you get into more of these director roles, how that sort of changes your day-to-day as you're overseeing these teams and the growth of your career path? Uh, sure. So, you know, like I said, builder, whatever, trying to understand the product guy above all. And, and I mean, it, it's very interesting because not only I was told, uh, but because I was told, it kind of made me aware, aware that not many people actually, uh, especially in product, I've worked across footwear, apparel, equipment. Uh, hard goods and soft goods. So bags and the whole spectrum. My, my uh, not last role, but penultimate role was actually, I was the global director for all of equipment. So everything from a soccer standpoint, football, baseball, and also bags. Uh, so I was happy because, you know, I was 
again, you know, delivering consumer experiences, you know, more than just product. And I've always looked at it that way. Of course, you know, in my first years and you come into the role as a junior PLM and you grow into a senior, whatever, you don't necessarily look at it that way, but always wanted to put the consumer first. And to me, if, if you're a decent product line manager, it doesn't matter what classification you work on. I think the ability to translate insights into a brief, uh, more importantly, actionable brief, you know, to get designs, you know, working and starting like uh, putting together a solution doesn't matter what classification you work on. Of course, I wanted to extend that, you know, for as long as I could, but at some point you step into a, a manager's role, a director, a senior director, whatever. And, and that's when you have to, to step back and, and start understanding how to uh, leverage those skills, sometimes great skills you had when doing the job and transferring those skills into your direct reports. Uh, so that's when you have to refrain from like, let me show you how to fish as opposed to teaching how to fish. Uh, that's when you have to say like, okay, let me guide you. And doesn't matter if you trip, doesn't matter if you fail, you know, at least you're going to learn something from it. So you have to be able to accept that, uh, it's a process and people can only learn by experiencing. Rarely will someone step into any type of role and know how to do it. Like from the get go. Unless you're a genius, you're Mozart and you get in front of a piano and you know how to put a symphony together. So you really have to go through that process of like experimenting uh, and experimenting failure, I would say, uh, and, and get better. Uh, so my manager style was really about like empowering people to one, come talk, share, you know, their challenges, but also show opportunities, you know, to not only do better, but sometimes excel. So for me, the transition, you know, was, was not so much challenging to go from one product engine to the other. It was mostly from really removing my PLM at off and uh, getting into more of that uh, mentor, manager, coach uh, type of role. Hmm. I love that too, just because you gave the creative freedom, but you trusted your team. And I guess that added to that question as the direct, as a director, um, what and how did you interpret success to your team? And what did that look like? Uh, well, one, uh, I think there's individual success and there's team success. Okay. And uh, I think you have to enjoy the victories. Uh, but at the same time, you have to be able to reward the individual. And there's the material reward. There's also, you know, what you call like uh, 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 progress, uh, promotions and things like that. And, and uh, just like, I think a, a tap in the back can go a long way. Acknowledging that like someone's contribution, you know, uh, help, help uh, fuel that success. Uh, to me, it's, it's really about finding the right balance between, you know, uh, uh, I'd say acknowledging one's contribution to success, but also accountability is key. So knowing what your role is 
uh, but not being afraid to step into the designer's shoes if you think you have a good idea. So I've always, you know, looked at my teams, my PLMs and, and taking a page from my book as in like, hey, you know what, if you feel like something's not going to work because you know the consumer best, that's what you're supposed to be as, as a PLM in product management, you have to be the consumer expert. Don't be afraid to tell your designer, your engineer, your developer that you think that there might be a better solution. The second filter I've always applied and, and, and tried to coach my teams to apply is kind of that business ownership. Because at the end of the day, product management is, like I said, at the intersection of all the functions between sales, merchandising, brand management, brand marketing, and all of that, where there's a consumer component, but there's a business component to things. So as a business owner, you need to maximize you know, your investments. You need to be able to understand not only who your consumer is, your consumer habits, as far as like, where do you shop? How do you shop? How much do you shop for? But also what the brand impact and what the uh, business impact is going to be. And we've done loads of things at Nike that only had a brand impact, which is okay because it creates traffic. But you also need to be able to unpack and articulate the business impact you're going to have. So those were the things, you know, I was always looking at putting into the conversation where when you stand up, when you get up and you start talking about your consumer, but also like the brand impact and consumer impact, the credibility I was talking about really come into play when, when, when you're able to articulate all of that. Really like, you know, both John and I were, you know, within brand and there's obviously a big difference between the culture and frankly, just the vibe of being within the global brand organization versus being in the product organization. And I know that there's not a ton of intersection potentially, I guess, with some of those roles, but I do know and from just from like conversations that like the marketing intersection with the product teams, you know, that's there's just a healthy tension there. Can you speak to any of that and like what your experiences were where those where the brand meets the product sort of side? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think I'm, uh, that that's a very, very good point, actually. I'm glad I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, again, during my journey, and when you think about uh Product management, where we've been, you know, I can use a couple of examples, you know, uh, I either have told about on my on my little journal stories or I will talk about is actually if those intersections don't exist, you have to create them. So I've always forced myself or I've always like, you know, embraced like anyone in brand that would come and have a conversation about product. And those conversations, you know, start as a 10 minutes and they go like two hours and days and weeks sometime where I looked at the product brief as almost like your brand pitch. You're, it could be external, okay? The only difference is like you write, you put together a slideshow, whatever sort of brief, you know, for an internal audience. But if you're able to package that in a way that's going to be consumer-facing and that really is going to articulate the benefits, there you have it. So I've always looked at brand as kind of that, you know, function that would translate that insight into something that has a lot of value for the consumer. Isn't that what, brand marketing all about and we had that maxim at nike or principle actually we tell stories and to me the, the the brief is really a story about an experience you had with a with an athlete or a consumer about 
you know, a problem or an insight and being able to articulate that. And I think the best way to go about marketing a product is in the words of Simon Sinek to start with why. And that's always been very inspiring to me that I've always, you know, looked at briefs I put together, briefs my team put together as like explaining the why and trusting the experts to, you know, solve through how and what become the solution. So being able to value each of the functions and, and, and because we're talking about brand marketing, I mean, trust me, I've always made them my partners uh, the, the best I could. And, and, you know, especially as a director, I think you probably have more leverage to do that and, and to get your teams in front of, you know, that function so that they can tell the story with a lot of credibility. Yeah. I love that. That's great. Um, we usually ask also our guests, Rudy, um, you know, as these, this younger generation comes in, you know, from they want to work at a big brand like Nike or Adidas or, you know, a bigger CPG company or even smaller CPG companies. It could be from, you know, product to apparel to marketing. Um, what kind of advice could you give them, you know, or even the people who want to start something different in their career? Uh, good, somewhat challenging question. Uh, <laughs> I think, especially when you think about, you know, the younger generations like millennials and Gen Z's and I have one, uh, <laughs> uh, of those, it's, it's the, uh, it, I'd say, take your time, take your time. I talked about failing, uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, trying different things on the product side or whatever. I think uh, what I would tell those younger generations, and I enjoy actually, you know, because I have a daughter that's in her 20s uh, and she has lots of friends. And sometimes, you know, I happen to to chat with them and, and they're like, well, what do you think of this? Why, why should I do that and whatever? I'm like, well, I don't know why you should do it, but I don't know why you shouldn't, you know, and, and you can go and try it. And if you don't like it, at least, you know, you don't like that part of the job or that sort of a job or whatever, uh, you know. And so it doesn't matter to your point, like big CPG company, smaller CPG company, you know, the, the mom and, and dad shop around the corner. I think it's all about, you know, at 20, I don't know that you know where you want to be in 10 years. I mean, you, yeah, maybe you're going to say, oh, I want to be this and that. But I'm going to ask you the same question, you know, in five years, I'm pretty sure the answer is going to be different. So I don't know that you can script your career, you know, as as early as out of college. So I would say go experience, take the opportunities. You're being offered a job if you feel like, you know, you're going to be happy doing that job, even if it's for like six months, 12 months, two years, go try it. And, and you'll see. Because uh, again, to me, I don't know that anything is scripted, especially nowadays. Uh, and I'm talking like pre-COVID, uh, I don't know. So I, to me, it's, it's the ability of saying no to things that you know for sure that you're not going to like, not going to enjoy, but it's not saying no to things that when you don't know, go try it. That's it. Love it. Hey, Rudy. Um, so like, I think that your timeline um, with your... Um, exit from Nike is around the same time as mine, not generally speaking. Yeah. Um, and I think that 
you know, your comment around just sort of like taking an assessment, right. And kind of just reflecting is something that I probably didn't do. (laughs) And I just jumped into like figuring out what was next immediately. Um, And then ultimately, you know, the pandemic hit and it's just, you know, continues to be this sort of journey. Do you mind kind of speaking to just that process of sort of your own introspection and, you know, quite frankly, just kind of working through that with somebody who had been at the company as long as you have and the amount of time and effort you dedicated to the company. I'm sure that that probably went through many different phases. Is that something you can take us through? Uh, So for whoever's listening, uh, I I spent 23 plus years at Nike uh, across, uh, you know, country level, uh, geography level, and then global level. So my journey, you know, was not necessarily uh, linear from uh, where I've been, what I've done standpoint, but it was in one function I loved. Uh, there was progression. Uh, at the same time, you get to a point where you start looking at your career and you ask yourself when you get, you know, near my age. Uh, Which, by the way, is still okay, a young age. Do, okay, let's just say that. Just yeah. a young age. I'm like, beep, years young. Of course, and and one of the keys, especially when you work at Nike, I mean, you can't you can't wear your age on your on your T-shirt. You have to be proud of where you've been. So I'm not saying I'm old; I'm experienced. That's that's the difference. Uh, But going back to your 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 question, I'd say uh, I was kind of getting like at a point where I was like, okay, I'm here. I like what I do. You start looking at like, you know. How much more can you not only do but contribute as to like everything you love doing so i'm not gonna say i was on my way out but i was kind of preparing myself i wasn't ready let's be honest i wasn't ready but because i had thought about what i wanted to do next uh i had some ideas of of you know where to start uh the thing is like yes my exit was kind of brutal but i i chose to dive in almost immediately as to like, okay, doing the things you do, you know, you're like, okay, you worried a little bit, you know, your income is not going to be safe, everything. You don't want to, anything to have an impact on your lifestyle. So I started applying for jobs, talking to recruiters and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden you see, it's kind of the same soup that's being served to you. And again, no offense, but I'm like, I've had that like for the last 20 years. Is it really what I want to do? So then I started being a little more structured in my approach where I'm like, okay, those, those big actually companies, not necessarily where I want to be. Okay. And I looked at my values and that's really where I kind of started to see the lights where sustainability, you know, became like over the years, not only as a professional, but also as a, as a human being, as a parent, as a husband, as a son, you know, very important to me. Uh, there were many, many things, you know, I started looking at and, and add that list of filters. Uh, and at the end of the day, I was like, the one filter I wanted to be in control of was, was my work-life balance. And when you go and you work for a big or sometimes even smaller company, uh, not necessarily something you can control. So consulting, you know, is kind of where uh, I kind of set my target to, or I'm like, okay, that's what I want to do. Because of where I had been, uh, I talked about product, but beyond product, it was more about consumer experiences. Uh, so it was more about 
kind of that theme of like, okay, how can I contribute to delivering like superior consumer experiences, which is really what I've been sort of doing in the last 12, 14 months. Uh, but more importantly, where I'm like energized and what I'm energized about doing and some of the things I have in the works, you know, are going to help me uh, uh, do uh, in the next few years, hopefully. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, can we talk about as a founder for the Playmakers Athlete Services? Um, it sounds like that's been going on during your past three years, actually. But um, what motivated you to do something like that on the side and kind of more focusing on that now, Rudy? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's been going on for officially. Uh, I started doing that. I was actually still at Nike as like an official LLC. Uh, but I had started doing it like unofficially like years prior. I mentioned I'm from France, uh, but I also have that Caribbean culture. I mean, my parents are from Martinique, French Caribbean. I'm very unlucky, I know. Uh, and uh, <laughs> because I love sports, uh, actually back in 2013, the, uh, the Martinique uh, soccer team was coming here actually for the uh, Gold Cup that uh, is every two years actually in North America. And they reached out to me because they had no idea where to begin. They had qualified for a tournament, but they needed to put together a, a training camp. They needed a lot of things like from a logistical standpoint, you know, products, hotels, like everything, you name it. And of course, I'm passionate about that. So I'm like, okay, let's see what I can do for you. So I started kind of doing that on the side, uh, no strings attached. I didn't get paid whatsoever. And that wasn't the point, but I loved it. I really, really loved it. At the same time, uh, I knew a couple of the Timbers players here and I started like knowing a lot more. And when you think about those guys uh, and what they need is to perform. I knew also some of the Blazers guys, uh, international. And it became obvious to me that in order for these guys to focus on performance, so being able on not only to perform, you know, during games, but to perform at during practice, you have to eliminate distractions. And I've had experience doing that through product, basically. Uh, I mean, you and I know, you know, about zero distraction. I'm like, how do you apply that to a professional athlete's life? So I started doing that, you know, in a more formal way. So successfully with the Martinique team in 2013, then 2017 when they came back, and then 2019 when they're back here. We work in 2021 as we speak, but then started working, started working with uh, individual athletes. So like I mentioned, you know, Timbers players, uh, not only Blazers, a couple of NBA guys. And of course, you know, with the pandemic, I had to put that on the side, but uh, still doing it, not keeping me like busy, like 100%, but I'll go back to it. Matter of fact, it's going to change. It's going to evolve from just like athlete services to, to more of a consulting thing because uh, I'm working in the uh, fitness industry right now. Uh, and again, it's all about delivering a superior experience. So when you think about a gym, it's like making sure everything's going to go well, you know, when you're a member and you walk in. So uh, just to give you an idea, you know, I, I'm in the Oregon, Washington kind of territory. So we're reopening Oregon tomorrow. So I'm busy basically making sure that everything's going to go well when we reopen. And again, I'm looking at this through the eyes of the member 
not necessarily through the eyes of the business. Oh, that's awesome. Rudy, um, one of the other questions that we asked our guests is, um, you know, if you're looking back across your, your career arc um, and you have the opportunity to go back and provide some insight to your um, younger self at any point in your career development, what would that advice have been if you could do that? Uh, the one thing I often think about uh like I said, you're young, you're getting the job. Okay. Don't, don't try. And, and that's not necessarily something, you know, speaking to myself, it goes back a little bit about the advice you would give is like, don't try to get everything, you know, at once, because it might happen, but it's not going to take you far. So, you know, I mean, again, there's this thing very Nike, but I'm sorry, it's to be a sponge. Okay. But going back, I think, and talking to younger self is also about being a little more selfish. Uh, I spent seven years in global football footwear, very, very successfully. Uh, I contributed to putting product on the market that were industry defining, that were extremely disruptive, but I was doing that at the service of the greater category or the greater Nike, but I didn't spend enough time like working on my career. Uh, so that was like the younger professional, you know, really like enjoying what he was doing and not necessarily thinking about investing on my career, even like taking like two hours a day or two hours a week, you know, just to think about my career map and things like that. It was not until later that I started like really career mapping and things like that. So I could have had like a different, you know, path or career. So I'd say like really take your time, take some time for yourself, take your time, like take some time, you know, for career mapping every now and then. And to young, younger, younger me, I would say like, again, it's about being a little more selfish. I'm, my nature is really to serve others. That's, that's who I am. You know, I'm, I'm very unselfish in that way where I would put the interest of other people, uh, you know, above my own interest, which is a trait that I would not trade for anything in the world. At the same time, it comes with a price, which is, to not being able to focus on yourself as much as you should. So that would be kind of the advice to my younger mm. self, I'd say, you know, focus on yourself a little more. Yeah, that's good stuff. Good advice. Well, man, uh, Rudy, yeah. thank you so much. This was awesome. I mean, we're super hyped to be able to build this relationship with you, number one. But number two, um, again, have you as a guest. And, you know, Jesse and I have always said to everybody we spoke speak with, is that, you know, if you ever have any, anything, you can always reach us. We're always there to help one another out. So, yeah. Same, same here. I think, uh, you know, again, thank you for the, uh, the opportunity. Thank you also for all your posts. I mean, you know, it's very interesting when you think about social media and things like that. I mean, LinkedIn is extremely powerful. Not in the way, like, you know, there's very little junk there. There's a little <laughs> bit, you know, some people just don't know how to use it. That's, that's human nature, I'd say, but... Uh, I mean, John, you had a few posts like, you know, in the last few days and I commented, we traded. I think I really enjoy the conversation, even if it's not like in person, but just through that uh, and, and beyond just that, you know, it's an amazing network. And what you guys are doing is, is helping expand, you know, not only your network, but you're doing me a big favor here because it's going to help me like expand my network, but also expand my brand, you know, in a way that 
not only people can come to me and ask for advice, but I can go to people and ask for advice, you know, and, and that's what's beautiful about networking. So, so thank you for the opportunity. And, and again, I'm sure you'll be able to share my contacts and things like that. So anyone that's, you know, willing to reach out and know more about Playmakers or Rudy or, you know, building pink soccer boots. I mean, I'm here. Yeah, of course. Yeah, 100%, awesome. man. We're it's all really this great. together. Wonderful. Really appreciate it, guys. And uh, yeah, we'll, yes, we'll talk we some will. more, I'm sure. Offline, whichever way we, yes. we will do yes. it. So, well, thank you again, yeah. Rudy. We'll speak to you soon. No problem. Yes. Thanks, hey, Rudy. Bye. Have a good day. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye now.